0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday, our show about the changing nature of work and how that work is changing us. When it comes to equality we want to think that things get better over time that opportunity expands but it doesn't always work that way in fact sometimes if we're not paying close attention opportunity actually contracts this is what happened for silicon valley product managers a
1: decade ago i started talking to other women and i realized this happened to so many of us that there was a point in the middle where all of us it's like, you know, a product falls out of product market fit, right? We fell out of product market fit with our, with product management. Even though we had done the role, we were no longer invited to the party. That's Deb Lu. Deb started as a product manager at PayPal,
0: and then she moved on to Facebook. If you've ever bought, sold, or even browsed on Facebook Marketplace, you already know her work. So a few years ago, Deb noticed something. When she'd started, her peers were both men and women. It seemed pretty much 50-50. But a decade in, the women had mostly disappeared. Deb set out to understand just how this happened. She shared this work in an article. It was called, What Happened to Women in Product? We link to it in our newsletter,
1: and I consider it required reading for anyone who cares about equity in tech. Here's Deb back in the day 20 years ago when I started in this field, it was extremely diverse. We were getting you know, women and men from different backgrounds come together and actually build products. And because the field was so new, you didn't really have kind of a fixed idea of what success looked like. So we just hired smart people. Right. And so at PayPal, uh, David Sachs was hiring the team with Amy Clement, and they would recruit from people with different backgrounds. And a lot of people had marketing backgrounds or business backgrounds. I happened to be graduating from Stanford, getting my MBA, and so I went to a career fair, and they were there hiring. And you know, I stumbled into this role. I actually interviewed, not knowing what the role was. But you know, in the interviews themselves, their questions were, "What would you build if you were us?" The thing was, I was I was an avid eBay seller. I loved PayPal. I'd used it for years, and so I kept telling them, "You need to build this. You need to build this. Here's a few ideas. Here's how you can, you know, make the seller's life easier." And when I showed up the first day, they said, okay, you know, welcome, you're a product manager. And I said, well, what does a product manager do? And they said, you didn't <laughs> know, you interviewed with, I mean, half a dozen people. And I said, well, nobody ever told me. And they said, you know, those ideas you told us about, you bring them to life. Yeah. And I spent the next several years doing that. I actually led the seller side of the business. And then eventually I took over the eBay PayPal integration when um, we were bought. And, you know, it was really kind of looking at what customers needed, being empathetic to them and building. And that's something that both women and men and people of different races and diversity, actually it's better when you have different people who can answer customers' questions and can understand customer needs. So it's not like in this role, you needed to know how to code, for example. Back then, most of us didn't code. I, had, I happened to have an engineering degree, but you didn't have to have a technical degree because right. your job was really translating customer needs into what it took to get a team to build the right product. So
0: there came a point when things changed and you experienced that in your own career when you went to Facebook, right? You went to Facebook in 2009? Yes, I joined Facebook in 2009. So at that point, Facebook was already launched. It was probably already something that your mom was thinking about joining if she hadn't already, but it was still fairly new.
1: It was early in its story. And Facebook was kind of a boys club, right? Well, when I joined Facebook first, it was fewer than 1,000 employees. And so it was actually, when I joined, there was a few things. One was everyone was so incredibly young. And I had a toddler and a newborn. And I felt out of place as a mom in particular. (laughs) So when you say incredibly young, you mean like college age young? Yeah, I mean, I think our CEO was something in his early 20s at the time, mid-20s at the time. And I had a couple kids and there were very few moms there. And it was pretty young and it was much more stereotypical Silicon Valley. It was just a much younger company with a younger vibe without lots of families. And I think the other thing was, you know, in product management, you did require a technical degree. And so, you know, at the time, I think uh, one fifth of technical degrees are, are actually earned by women. And so I don't think it was specific that they said, well, we only want to hire, you know, men for this role. It was much more, hey, technical degrees are earned by, you know, a certain population and we're gonna draw from that population and for right or wrong. And again, it was a choice that was made along the way that had happened. And by the way, at the time, I had no idea. And even many, many years later, I had no idea why I couldn't get into product management again. I had run a fairly large product team at eBay and at PayPal, but I came in in a product marketing manager role because I couldn't get back into a product management role. Well, it's
0: interesting that you had no idea why, but actually there's this little pocket of history in Silicon Valley, really one company's early history that
1: that shaped this. Yeah, you know, I, years, years later, so about 2016 or so, 2017, I started talking to other product leaders as I was working on Women in Product, the organization and the conference. And one of the women I talked to was April Underwood, who was a chief product officer at Slack, and she's now the CEO of her own company. And we were talking about how back in the day, we were product managers, and then at some point, we were kind of uninvited to the club, and we couldn't figure out why. And she said, yeah, when I worked at Travelocity. I actually coded and then I became a product manager, but I didn't have a CS degree. And so I went over to Google as a technology partner role. And I started talking to other women and I realized this happened to so many of us. that There was a point in the middle where all of us, it's like, you know, product falls out of product market fit, right? We fell out of product market fit with, our, with product management. Even though we had done the role, we were no longer invited to the party. And I think each of us felt like we had done something wrong. But actually what happened was the industry changed and we didn't realize it. So when you stay at the same company, you're not out there looking. So nobody checks your qualifications, asks if you have a CS degree, you kind of just continue to do your job, you rise in the ranks. But the minute you try to go to another company, you realize that this extra requirement was there and you had no idea. And I talked to a lot of people trying to trace back what happened because it was really difficult for me to understand. Like this happened to me and even I didn't really articulate, I couldn't articulate what had happened. And so One person I talked to was someone who's an early Google product manager and said, you know, at one point, Google just felt like um, the feedback from their engineers was that their product managers weren't technical enough. So they changed the requirement to have a computer science degree as a requirement for product management. And again, it was a choice made by one company that fit their needs at the time. And I don't fault them for that at all. I remember reporting on Silicon Valley around that time, it was an interesting
0: moment in the evolution of the internet. The small handful of startups became wildly successful. Companies like Google. Other entrepreneurs began to emulate them. The assumption seemed to be, well, to be as successful as Google, we should do things exactly the way Google does them. And this gave rise to a generation of technically trained
1: product managers. Again, they were extremely successful company. What they were doing was something that's just spread throughout the industry. And it wasn't a right or wrong. It was just a you know, it was just something that happened. I think in an uncoordinated fashion, I think things just happen, trends happen. And, you know, it spreads through industries. And then suddenly you couldn't get another job if you didn't have a CS degree on your resume, no matter how many years of experience you had.
0: It certainly was very problematic for women, right? I mean, it led to a real setback in this field for women. And therefore, I would argue. For the field in general, because when you don't get that diversity of perspectives
1: at the table, making and creating, the companies lose out. Well, that's why I think this story is so important to be told. It's that it was a choice that made sense for one company and an industry at a time when things were changing a lot, but that it could have disproportionate impact over a long period of time that no one knew about. Computer science degrees were only earned by, I think, 18 or 20% of the population or women. And you think about that, you've basically cut out you know, a significant pool of people who could be successful in this role. And what you've done is also cut out everyone who's already been in this role and proven success without that. And that was the part which I found really interesting, which is companies would look at successful people and try to recruit them from other companies and then say, actually, you don't qualify. Yeah. Which... It actually was a huge setback, and so two things happened. One was women were being pushed out of the fields in a way that was unexpected, and they eventually went on to you know other roles. So I went to a product marketing management role. Others went in like um, April, and others kind of kept, took different routes and or stayed at their own company. And then the second thing that happened was new women did not enter the field because when you start with this requirement, suddenly your population has now you know been more than halved. Of the type of women you would even consider including myself and so i think that as a result and you know the other part is it's very insidious in a small way which was having a technical interview there were some women i spoke to who even if they had a cs degree they were really intimidated by the technical interview because they said look i've been a product manager for five ten years i'm really worried about my ability to pass a technical interview and so you in essence you're adding on these barriers that are again completely unintentional but it also changed the field so much that it went from fields which you know you saw you know half of the leadership and i named some of the most famous leaders in that article you know the head of product for many organizations and at one point i reported to amy clement who was the head of product for paypal and every single director of product around her table is a woman right. to a fields where you know we had actually now you know the numbers kept dwindling we allowed this to stand for a long, long time. And that was the part which I think is really interesting is that no, you know, so many people who read my article came and said, this happened to me and I thought it was just me. Yeah. And I felt exactly the same thing, which is why I, I, I worked so hard. I spent years working on this article, actually. And the reason I did was because I wanted to tell the story to say it wasn't just you. It was all of us. Deb, you can tell
0: that you spent years working on it. You can tell in the precision, in the detail, the way that you named names. This place, this industry, it's not a big place such that you really can take the time and decode how something happened when it, when it doesn't work or doesn't serve the industry. It's a real service that you did for the industry. There are two pieces I want to talk about. Um, the one that we'll spend most time on is what you have done now that you've identified this issue. But before we get there, So you came into Facebook, not in a PM role, but you moved into that role.
1: How did that happen? You know, about 18 months in, I had been working on a product. Um, I basically helped build out the games team and the the payments team. And we had built Facebook credits and I'd taken it to market. And, you know, over time, I think my role and that of the product manager was getting closer and closer. And at one point they said, you know, it's better if you just move to product. And I just remember thinking, I didn't qualify, but, you know, now I'm invited into the party and I was very excited and no way did I feel bad about it. I just said, finally, I'm invited to the party. This is wonderful. How did
0: you feel about not having qualified initially? I mean, was there any sort of arrival at Facebook being angry about that? Or did you feel like it was just a different kind of company? Like, what
1: was your understanding of it? I I assumed it was a very different kind of company that they were looking for much more technical people for that role. And so I said, Hey, you know, know, as um, Cheryl has the quote, it's like, you know, when you get on the rocket ship, you don't ask which which seat when they invite you on the rocket ship. I was just so incredibly excited to work at Facebook. And I still am after all these years. But when I got there, it was just such an incredible world. And I thought, well, maybe they just do things differently here as I was working on the role, I realized that the role was very similar. And over time, I think I got invited to more and more of the meetings. I, I started showing up, I started just, you know, doing some of the work. And then eventually they said, you know, I think your role will be better in product management. And I thought, great. And so I, you know, but finally I, I was invited back into the party. And, and again, I didn't, I, I had no hard feelings about this at all. I think that, um, but I think it, it was easy in some ways because my story ends well that, you know, I, I, don't have, But there are a lot of women who didn't have that luxury who kind yeah. of took a very different route and look back and say, hey, this could have gone really differently. And it's for those people I wrote it, you know, I was able to come into product management and affect change so that this could... Change for everybody, but I don't think that most a lot of women who did face that they ended up either dropping out of product management or the field itself, or going and do something else. And I think for those people, it's a good reminder that you know just because the story ends well doesn't mean that you know there aren't things that we need to do. So tell us a little bit about the
0: shift that you've seen in recent years, and and what you have done at Facebook to enable it.
1: What surprised me was when I went to the first product meeting and there were so few women there and I was just used to working in organizations where it was 50-50 and it just never occurred to me. And I remember talking to our head of recruiting and at the time she headed up product recruiting and we talked about this and I, I asked her like, why is this? And she said, let's go figure this out. And we spent years unpacking small things and big things that made a difference. And, you know, first and foremost, the CS degree was one we identified early on. And so dropping that requirement actually made a huge difference because suddenly people felt like it took us, by the way, years, even after we dropped the requirement to get even people to interview because they thought we still had it. It was like a secret requirement in their head (laughs) because it had been there for so long. Then yeah. the second thing we did was we said, you know, we still had a technical interview. And a lot of women that I spoke to said the intimidation of just knowing that someone's going to test you on a thing that you're not going to be prepared for discouraged them from interviewing. And so we removed the technical interview altogether. And again, the quality of our PMs did not go down, actually. We were able to draw from a bigger pool. And so we kept making changes. We tweaked the interview process because we found that, you know, only three of our interviews were correlated with. Success long term. So why would you have extra interviews? And don't do that. So we focused on narrowed in on product sense, leadership, and drive and execution as a way to measure uh, PMs coming in. And you know, over time, we were able to bend the curve. But you know, again, I told you so much of what we did just required um, an extraordinary amount of effort and product managing, hiring. Like we product managed a product to actually say what is wrong, what is not working what can we change and over years we've been able to make tremendous progress but you know the thing that i mourn the most is not necessarily that you know we were able to make these changes i i'm very excited about that but the thing that i mourn the most is the people who never made it in that during those years where you know we didn't affect change fast enough the women were discouraged from hiring we're going to take a quick break when we come
0: back deb tells us about a program that brings more people into product management We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability. to. If you want to hear more of Zach Beret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back. My guest today is Deb Liu, the VP of Marketplace at Facebook.
1: I asked her about Facebook's product manager apprenticeship program we draw people straight out of school we draw people from other industries who have a couple years of work experience you know banking consulting you know working in other fields And they come in and then we teach them the art of product management in rotation. So each of them go through three rotations and you go into a team for three to four months. And then over the course of a year, you've joined three different teams, looked at, you know, maybe you work on monetization like ads. And then maybe you work on your reality labs with AR, VR, and maybe you work on, you know, something on the front end, like a consumer product, like video. And over that period of time, you learn what it means to be a product manager in very, very different fields. And then you get to choose which team you want to join at the end. And so you find a team and then you actually join that team permanently. But it gives people who have no idea what the field is it, an opportunity to actually understand the mechanics of actually working at a tech company. What makes a good
0: product manager? Like what what characteristics, attributes,
1: if you're a young person and you're thinking, hmm, I wonder if I'd be any good at this, what is it? You know, the most important skill in a product manager is Empathy. And it's, you know, really understanding what problem you're trying to solve and solving it. And whether that empathy is for an enterprise product, a cloud product, you know, your customers might be the IT department of a company, or it could be a consumer trying to select a video on a on a lonely night. And really understanding and having empathy for that customer and saying, what problem am I trying to solve? And how do I solve it in a way that is beneficial to them, but also to this company. And, okay. you know, that's really the heart of what the role is. And, you know, I tell new product managers at Facebook, I, I do a new hire class. And I say, look, every day you have one thing on your to-do list, and that is to build an impactful product with a happy team. And that's it. And the role is whatever it takes to make that happen. Some product managers write detailed specs. So I spent years writing 100-page specs on every detail when I was at previous companies with, you know, every error message be documented. And that was part of our role back then when we had kind of more of what we call waterfall um, development, where you hand over a document and an engineer's code. You know, Now we work on a much more flexible environment where you sit down with the engineers, you sit down with the designers, researchers, and data scientists, and you say, okay, what are we going to build together? And it's much more iterative. But the role has not changed because fundamentally it's, are you building a product that pleases your customers and delivers what they need? And whether you, know, you can do that with 100-page specs or you can do that with conversations over a long period of time. But the role of the PM hasn't changed, which is how do you deliver that product? How do you have a happy team around you? How do you up-level the people around you? Deb, have we made up the ground that we lost? I think we're starting to, but we don't we can't get back the lost generation. That's the part that I think I am most concerned about, which is we believe that progress is up and to the right. That, you know, and the thing is we cannot take progress for granted. You know, this was a field that was 50-50 20 years ago and we have lost ground. And we're going to make up that ground and we and there are tremendous leaders and women in product across many organizations moving towards that. But we don't get to go back in time. And the women who, who, who didn't make it onto the track and weren't able to get their first management job, they weren't able to move companies that they're not the directors and VPs of our generation today because they're gone. They didn't make it. And that's the part I most worry about is that during this pandemic, you know, right now, you know, I think it was, it was December or January. We celebrated more women participation in the workplace than men for the first time. And for three months, we thought we made tremendous progress in women's participation. And then recently, I think a month ago, it came out that um, women's participation in the workforce has fallen back to 1988 levels. Deb, it's so bad. If you look at unemployment, why
0: unemployment dropped last month, if you dig into the labor report, what you see is that a lot of people just stopped looking for jobs. And when when you look at who stopped looking for jobs, you see that it's 89% women. And that's not women in any specific level of their career. It's it's across their career. It's
1: office work and non-office work. It's like everybody just took a step back. And I think that's the thing. I, I think we always believe that things are going to get easier and better over a long period of time, but then we have setbacks. And this setback in product management is just an an example that I hope that we can use to talk about how in order to make progress, you have to monitor, you have to keep track of what's going on. And I am really worried. I mean, so many women right now are struggling, especially since they take a disproportionate Carrying the weight at home. I mean, you have a, you have a child. I have three children out there, and you know who are constantly open my iPad. You know your IT tech support, and and I have an incredibly supportive husband. But you know the disproportionate weight often falls the women, and you know society is held up by women. They are the fabric. I remember I, I read this quote of something like women are the shock absorbers of society, and so when something goes wrong, they're the ones who have to absorb it. I get so caught up in in. In knowing
0: that, Deb, but also knowing, deeply knowing that we can't blame women for their need to take a step back right now, that the pressure that individual women are under for the collective problem of our society is so massive. It just, it, you know, candidly, it feels very difficult to figure out the messaging for our show. Like, what are we telling women? And I think that the thing that we're telling them is twofold. It's okay to do what you need to do right now. And don't lose track of your career. It's there for you, you know?
1: I do think that we could make policies to make it easier for women to, on, yeah. to off-ramp and on-ramp. I don't. I think the challenge, part of the challenge is that we don't have easy off-ramps and on-ramps. Once you're out, it becomes so much harder. And every year you're out, it's harder to come back. You know, if it's a year or two, it's fine. But if it's five, 10 years, it's really difficult. And hopefully, you know, coming out of this pandemic, we are going to have a better idea of, Hey, if someone has a gap in their resume, that's okay. You know, it's okay to take a couple years off because your children need you. It's okay to come back and to not believe that that person has lost all their skills suddenly, but to say, Hey, it's okay. And I hope that that comes out of this, but, you know, I don't think that it's, it's going to be easy because, you know, one thing is it's really hard to change what something, when something happens. It's easy to lose ground, it's hard to gain ground because you're actually, you know, clawing back the gains over a long period of time. Yeah. That's really true.
0: It's so easy to lose ground and so hard to make it up.
1: Yeah. I think that you know coming out of this pandemic I hope we find more ways and flexible ways for women to reenter the workforce. We stand to lose the future founders, the future small business owners. You know, we we stand to lose so much as a society if we just marginalize a group of people that said, "Hey, you know, I need some time." And so I do think flexibility is really really important because it gives people more choices. And when we we send people toward a sort of fixed set of choices, I think we're much much worse off.
0: Yeah, well put, Deb. We've covered so much ground together. Thank you for taking the time to share this story with us and for doing the work. It's really pretty profound.
1: Thank you, and I I appreciate you being willing to tell this story. And it's not just a story of one industry and one field. It's a story that I'm sure happens hundreds of times in so many different fields. And I hope that in reflecting on this, that we can find ways to really interrogate our assumptions about what success looks like in all of these fields and say. Let's open our hearts and our doors to people who are going to make all of our products better, all of our industries better. Thank you.
0: That was Deb Liu, Vice President of Marketplace at Facebook. Check out the show notes of this episode for a link to the article that inspired this conversation. On today's episode, Deb speaks a lot about the importance of using empathy and feedback to build better products. Well, we think that applies to Hello Monday, too. You know, our annual survey is live this week and we would love it if you would take five minutes to fill it out for us. It'll help with the programming next year in 2021. You can check it out at linkedin.com forward slash Hello Monday. Again, takes five minutes and we'd really appreciate it. That's linkedin.com forward slash Hello Monday. And don't forget office hours this week. As usual, producer Sarah Storm and I will convene Wednesday afternoon at 3 p.m. If you'd like the link in advance, you can follow me at Jesse Hempel on LinkedIn, or you can email us at Hello at LinkedIn.com. Hope to see you there. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn. The show is produced by Sarah Storm. Joe Georgia mixed our show. Florencia Riando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is our technical director. Juliette Barreau and Victoria Taylor are leaning into Hello Monday. Our music was composed just for us by the mysterious Brickmaster Cylinder. You also heard music from Poddington Bear. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel. See you next Monday. Thanks for listening. Pause one second. Yes. In the way that in the new pandemic life... Uh, the dog has gotten into my lunch and she's going to be very loud unless I undo it. So (laughs)
1: apologies. No problem. You definitely want to keep your lunch safe.
0: (laughs) The dog has finished the tortilla chips, um, but luckily she stopped at the crunching. I have a very old collie who is very pleased with the fact that we're now home all day.